Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon. The unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle, delivered in an entertaining, informative fashion that only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC's Campfires is brought to you by DSC, Conservation, Education, and Hunter Advocacy. Hornady, Accurate, Deadly, Dependable. Trigicon, Brilliant Aiming Solutions. Taurus, Makers of the Raging Hunter Handgun. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, Double Nickel Taxidermy. Now here's your host, Larry Wysoon. David Fox, thank you for that great introduction once again. Really appreciate everybody being with us today. We have got an interesting podcast today in a certain kind of way, if you will. Initially, what started out as a hunting trip in uh, Baja was a hunting trip, but it kind of turned into a camping trip before it was all over with and really kind of pointed out the fact that you got to really do your homework, particularly no matter how badly you want something to happen, which kind of leads into our conservation moment for today in that you may want a piece of property really bad, but uh, and you think it's everything that you want, but sometimes it may not be. And that's one of the reasons why you work with Hayden Outdoors. Hayden is the brand that sells land. And there's a reason for the fact that they're the best real estate company in all of North America when it comes to anything having to do with rural properties. Those guys do their homework. They know what's going on. They know whether or not the property that uh, you're 
really interested in may or may not fit the bill. And I know I've talked about this several times in the past, but it bears repeating. When you deal with somebody like Hayden Outdoors, they can find out everything there is about that property and and then come to you and say, okay, you know, this will do most of what everything you want to do, but may not do all the things you're hoping to accomplish here and hear the reasons why. And then maybe they can give you an explanation as to what you can do to kind of circumvent that or maybe go look for another piece of property for you. So kind of like my hunting trip that we're about to talk to with uh, Jeremiah Bennett, who is my cameraman on our Baja adventure. So with that, let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to another episode of DSC's Campfires. This one takes place in all imaginable places in California. <laughs> I'm here with uh, Jeremiah Bennett. And Jeremiah and I just got off a hunt. We're actually sitting in a motel room in, in San Diego, having been down in Baja on a hunt. He's awaiting a flight that uh, they keep changing the flight times on him. <laughs> I'm flying out a little bit later, so we thought we'd take this opportunity just kind of visit a little bit and maybe talk about the hunt, but talk about a few other things. But before we do, um, really talk about some of those other things because this guy with me is just an absolutely fantastic artist. We've talked about this a little bit in past episodes, but I can tell you this guy is the finer artist as there is when it comes to anybody that can draw or paint particularly. But Jeremiah, we were down in Baja, California. Uh, what was the name of the closest little town? Do you remember? Um... Wasn't it Ros- Rosalita? Ros- something like that. Maybe. I believe it was Rosalita. I think Ros- Rosalita. Did, did we yeah. were about what about halfway down the peninsula. Yeah, yeah. It appeared on the map that we were yeah. halfway down. So, well, we were there hunting a ghost deer, and I say ghost deer for a lot of different reasons. The uh, Colombian blacktail is a deer species up in central part of California, northern part of California. And apparently this deer that we were hunting is kind of an extension of that one, but they call it the Baja blacktail. And looks more like a mule deer from the few that we saw. And then, of course, we'll talk about those a little bit, little bit later as well, too. But there are supposedly the least populous of all the deer species in Mexico. And they certainly prove themselves to that respect on this hunt. Man, you're not kidding. It was uh, it was a tough hunt, tough hunt for sure. It it, it was. We went into it knowing we probably weren't going to see a whole lot of deer, but we thought probably we'd see a few more deer than we actually ended up seeing. But to me, the the uh, saving grace behind all this was, as far as the hunt's concerned, were several factors. Number one, of course, Jeremiah was here to film it for uh, Trigicon's World of Sports at Field with Safari Classics. And then we had John Landgraf with us. John is, is a friend of mine from uh, over the middle of the Odessa area. has been hunting for a long, long time. And I've had the opportunity to work with him through some of the conservation organizations that he and I are both involved in. Just an absolutely great guy. But what do you think about the countryside as, as far as the, the type of terrain and habitat we were in? Oh, it was... It was amazing really i mean i it very very similar to sonora mexico which you know i spend a great deal of time in sonora every year uh guiding desert mule deer hunts down there but the one thing that the one thing that was very surprising to me was was how green it was um for this time of year um i'm not used to 
I'm not used to being in the desert this time of year and to see all of the new growth and, and the and the pretty flowers and the the, the greenery was uh it was that was a new experience for me because I'm I'm used to hunting Sonora in January when everything is Toast. Dull, dull, yeah. <laughs> dull so colored. It was really, it was really beautiful. Well, apparently they'd had a substantial rain. We crossed a couple of creek bottoms, if you will. Yeah. There was still a bit of water in it, but based upon the uh, decayed vegetation and broken limbs and things like that, there were there was a tremendous amount of water that fell on in that part of the country and, and washed out a lot of the creeks and the roads as a result were a little bit more difficult to navigate at times as well too but yeah. but to me the beauty of it was with with the vegetation is the uh, the various cactus the swaro type cactus that's there the choya there were like at least three or four different species of, of choya that you saw and then they have a uh, cactus there called a or it's actually part of the uh, uh okatea family uh, like the devil's walking cane that we have out in different parts of uh, the southwest which is a basically a a stick with thorns with green leaves on it but this particular it's a tree that grows up to about 60 feet or so and it's called a sierra i think is what it is and uh, it's only found there in baja and a little bit over apparently on tiburon island and maybe a little bit over on the, the mainland and it grows like two inches a year and there were some of those those that were 60 plus feet tall yeah yeah it's very strange looking very very strange looking tree limbs that were the longest on the young ones probably about three inches yeah and there's thousands of them and thousands of them and they spiral as they go up the the limb structure does and most of them were right hand twists but i noticed as we were driving along i'd look Try to look look into vegetation anyway, but notice that uh, there were a bunch of those that also were, were left hand twists going the other way. So I'm not sure what the significance of those different left hand twists and right hand twists is. I doubt that it's a male female thing, but uh, I'm sure there's some local lore that would explain it. Unfortunately, I did didn't ask. I guess I should have why that was the case. But that area was is absolutely fantastic if you like high desert country. Now, if you if you don't like cactus and thorns and spines and all that kind of stuff, probably wouldn't have been too impressed with it. Not but. the place to go. <laughs> <laughs> no, not the place to go. We, we had a nice little camp way off in the middle of uh, nowhere, essentially. These ranches are absolutely huge in uh, size. Uh, lots of high rolling country, you know, rocky country uh lots of places for the deer to hide but one thing is that no matter where you have deer if they walk on the ground and every deer i've ever seen i've not yet seen one that flies every deer that walks on the ground leaves tracks and even with looking for tracks we saw so very very few tracks very minimal minimal. you've hunted in prior not too terribly long ago for uh, desert bighorns and then also the uh, the blacktail deer but you were a little bit farther south when y'all were filming that show yeah we were we were in baja california sir which is which would be baja south yeah uh not terribly far uh south from the line mm-hmm. but uh it it is very similar to this there were, I, I didn't see any of the uh sierra trees right but it is it was hands down uh 
the steepest, nastiest uh, terrain that I've ever really, yeah. And I mean the the blacktail. I mean we we killed the ram and then we we started hunting for blacktail and we hunted hard, very hard for three days, and we finally you know finally found a buck with some does. Now they were rutting at that time, right? And that would have been back in early March, I guess. Um, but it was a tough hunt. Even down there, it was really tough. Right. And we put in, I don't know how many miles, you know, on foot looking for these deer. We would park and walk and walk and walk and walk and walk to a place where we needed to look over, you know, on the backside between, right. between a, a footer, you know, the foothill and the main mountain, there would be a, a hole back in there that they'd want to look in and, that's actually how we ended up finding the buck that we did. And uh, when we first when we first glassed him up, he was probably 900 yards away. But we had to walk like four miles to get to him. Cause, <laughs> to get to him? Well, there was a deep, there was a, that we were on the edge of a sheer cliff. And it, what it was, it was a big drainage that came down out yes. of, off of that mountain. And then he was, he was clear on the other side and then through another draw. And we had to we had to walk, you know, we had to walk a mile down the drainage just to get to a place where we could we cross could it. Actually, go down. Yeah. Oh my it goodness! Was, it was straight down, and uh, we got down in the bottom, and then started back up the drainage, and found a place on the other side where we could go up. And then then the stop started. You know, it began from there so and then when you got the deer down you called the truck and they came and got you right no no it didn't work like that (laughs) that would have been nice but no it didn't work that way I would venture to say Larry that on this on this this blacktail hunt of ours wouldn't you say that we probably covered 60 to 70 miles a day by dirt we did We, we did lots of crawling up and down the hills with with the vehicle and then getting yeah. to points where we could walk sometimes yeah. and and last but some of those areas the, the roads were laid out so that we had the opportunity didn't have to walk all that far to glass into other country no but my gosh you, you can see you, i'm not saying you see every deer you'd never see any deer even if there was nothing on the ground they still find a place to hide in there but but we looked at at literally thousands and thousands of acres and and saw very very few deer when it was all said and done initially when i was looking at it after the first day or so i thought well there's probably a deer population of about a deer to every thousand fifteen hundred acres and yet toward the tail end of the hunt i'm convinced that the deer population is <laughs> maybe one deer to every ten to fifteen thousand acres <laughs> down there and again it's because of, of the tracks i mean there were no old tracks to speak of no. uh, and and very very few relatively fresh tracks so there's just not a whole lot of deer in the area and i think there that is is a, a factor of, of multi things and and including a tremendous amount of whether you want to call it hunting or poaching pressure throughout the year uh i think that those it's it, within the culture of those people down there that whenever they see anything they just shoot it <laughs> yeah I think you're right because among other things we also we saw very few rabbits we saw I think like one or two rabbits we actually saw more saw two rabbits one jackrabbit and one cottontail 
And that was it on the rabbits. You know, we saw a small number of coyotes. I think one bobcat. I did find one mountain lion track on one of the ridges, but we saw a fair number comparatively, not a lot of them, but we saw like two big coveys of gamble quail and then a couple of others that were pears and that kind of thing. And, and, uh, but very few songbirds. Yeah, I was, I mean, Honestly, I was I was really surprised at the the lack of wildlife that we saw. Total for, for the most part, for as, the vastness of it all, it's pretty void of wildlife. It, it really was. I'm not used to that. No, I'm not either. I mean, I've been in some really harsh country, desert type country in in Africa, there in the mid desert, where there's hardly anything in terms of vegetation or food or water, and yet even there we saw the, a relative abundance of wildlife. And and here we just, gosh, you just didn't see anything. You could glass and glass and glass, and you know, hope you'd see a bird. You wouldn't even see a blooming bird out of the oh, man. morning nut. We glassed until my eyes wanted to bleed. But <laughs> I mean, I, I struggled. I struggled to find anything alive to film, right? Other than you, Larry. Yeah, we got lots of footage. Of we got a lot of footage of me yeah. walking through walking through cactus, which yeah. was absolutely beautiful. Some of the plants there were flowering, and, and so they were really, really pretty. And I'd love to be in that country when all the blooms are out. And I would assume normally that's probably as in that wintertime period when I assume that's when they, what rain they get, that's right. when, when it falls. But uh, to me, the, the just looking at the various cactus, many, many different species, varieties, uh, shapes of le- what little leaves there are, lots of little green stuff was coming up, again, comparative to what it would normally, but I think that was because of the rain. But it was just a... a, a a great hunt in a lot of different ways to where we just didn't see any deer. John Landgraf got very fortunate. I think John saw a total of maybe five deer while he was there and saw the same four does several times. And they finally got into a situation where they'd walked about three miles after having the wheel fall off of a truck. Uh, literally, the wheel came totally it off. Fell off. It just flat fell off. And uh, so they had a siesta while they, the, the guy tried to get back to the camp and figure out how to get out of there. And then they hunted that afternoon. And as a result of not having a vehicle, they walked in this area and finally spotted a, a buck out there feeding at about eight, 900 yards. And Taking advantage of the wind and terrain, Jones was able to get in about 200 yards and put him down. And he's actually a, a beautiful deer. He had like a grand total of nine points. They had a little bitty fork on the back tine on one side, short brow tines, but it looked a whole lot like a, a um, our Texas mule deer when you get right down to it as far as, yeah. you know, shape and size and all mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Color, everything. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But, uh, and then camp was good. We had had a, a very remote camp, stayed in the cabin, which was really nice. And yeah, the food was unbelievable. I mean, I've never had lobster <laughs> in deer camp before, but we had it three nights on this hunt. We did. I, I've had lobster in deer camps in the far northeast, you know, where where you uh, think of lobster. But the, the landowner, apparently, whose property we were hunting, is has um, apparently several different businesses, but one is a diving business. And so I'm assuming that's where the lobsters came from. Yeah. 
yeah, when we stopped by there, um, I, I got to I got the opportunity to look in the lobster tanks. He had some big ones. It's a big lobster. Had some big ones in there. Yeah. Well, I will say this: as you just said, the lobster was absolutely delicious, including on on pizza. First time I've ever had lobster pizza, <laughs> but it was excellent. That was the first time for me too. Of course, they had a little the homemade oven there. That so it was a, yeah. a kind of a fire brand wood fired wood fire baked lobster pizza. I mean. Could it get any better? No, it couldn't get any better because so, it was absolutely delicious. But it's a really good thing that the food was good, you know. Yes, it really was. Yes, the the, the food and to me, the food, the rain, and the people I was with, with you yeah. and John, and uh, we had a, a in our instance with you and me, we had uh, a gentleman from over in uh, uh, Sonora that was kind of our interpreter, more and guide to driver, driver, but uh, yeah. His name is Martin, and hopefully we'll hook up with Martin again in the future over in, in uh, Sonora. He, he does some ranch work there on the wildlife side of things, and, and hopefully down oh, within the next year or so, we can get down there and maybe do some coos deer hunting with him and have a look at some of their mule deer as well, too. But uh, He says he's a veterinarian. He says he's a veterinarian, and from the talk that he did and listening to him, obviously he had certainly has some veterinary well, training, knowledge. you know. Yeah. Uh, one of those guys has done a lot of everything, but it seemed like his heart in the right place when it comes to wildlife conservation. He was kind of shaking his head over some of the practices that were going on where we were. But uh, the hunt, in it, in, to, to me, the hunt, it's, it's the adventure. And the, the, this, the only thing that could have made this adventure in the smallest bit better is the fact if we'd actually seen more deer yeah. to where we would have had an opportunity uh, as it worked out I, had, I was taking down a uh, Remington 700 280 Remington of course I think it's 150 grain Hornady ELDX uh, ammo and with my Trigicon scope and we get to San Diego and we're not far from getting ready to cross the border and, and uh the uh, the the outfitter calls and says, uh, Larry, there's a problem with your gun permit. It hadn't been signed, which is kind of interesting because all this information had been sent back in June. So I I, I think maybe somebody just didn't get their who was assigned to do this didn't get their job done because the otherwise there I know the general has been around somewhere to sign paperwork from the time we submitted it to now. So uh, I ended up having to use a, a, another rifle that they were able to scrounge up down there and an old Mossberg, which I'm sure would have been extremely accurate and uh, had a had a scope on it, which I have never heard before. We were told there was Hornady ammo, and uh, when I got the box of ammo that they handed me, it was tattered and torn, and, and the only ammo as far as bullets were uh, full metal jacket bullets. So I shot it there at the camp and got it to where it was reasonable, reasonably? <laughs> Reasonably sighted in at about yeah. 50 yards or so. And so it's probably fortunate that I did get a shot with that particular rifle simply because had I even hit the animal, it, it might, that bullet may have not gone where my crosshairs were and uh, where I was holding. And it was simply to just put a hole through the animal and, and uh, yeah. made for a very difficult tracking job. But, uh, 
but all that, you know, to me, hunting is an adventure and it's part of all that. You have to, to deal with a lot of different things, kind of like John with the wheel falling off and John's rifle permit. He, he couldn't bring his own rifle across either. There was a problem with it as well too. And, uh, so he, but he was using the Outfitters rifle, which was a, a two seventy and and properly sighted in, and and had all the dope for it as far as if you had to shoot long range. And thankfully, he, he didn't have to do so. But uh, our days got started fairly early in the morning. But sometimes we were way above sunup before we got to the the places where we hunted. And we were and just it, so far. It was so far. You're right. I mean, we would drive an hour and a half to get where we or where the out the, the guide felt that there might be some deer to start looking for and then of course there's the same thing coming back home at night you know you hunt until almost dark and uh then try to get back in and and never knowing for sure whether you had enough fuel yeah <laughs> thankfully we a couple of times we had they happened to know somebody that had fuel in one of their little camps or uh but we were continually and constantly uh they were the guys were trying to get fuel out of another vehicle <laughs> you know larry that's just the thing about hunting abroad and i've done quite a you quite a fair amount of uh hunting abroad and you're always going to have um adversities and things that happen and come up when you're hunting when you're hunting abroad and and uh, that's just part of the the adventure, you know, it, is. it happens. It, it is really, it happens a lot when you're hunting abroad. So to me, I think they, I think they handled it. Oh, they did. Well, they so. did. Everything worked out really well. Uh, we had a vehicle that was having a serious transmission problem and somehow or another, they got it to where it limped home. Apparently. Well, they limped it to the, to the nearest town and left it. Oh, is that what they did? Yeah. They, they left it at a shop. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's being worked on. Oh, it is being worked on. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't know what they were taking it somewhere or whether it was going to go on to the next hunt or what the deal was. No, Mark, Martin told me that they that they were dropping it at a mechanic. Oh, the mechanic's perfect. Mechanic shop. Perfect. But, it, you know, the vehicles, other than, you know, not knowing for sure whether you have fuel, uh, which is, and again, as you mentioned, that's part of traveling abroad. If you if you expect everything to go the way you were told, if you expect everything to go the way that you want it to, you're going to have a horrible time. You're going to have a lot of disappointments. <laughs> you will. You, know. you really will. As far as those vehicles go, I mean, that is that is rough, bad, oh rugged country. And, you know, the vehicles, they're just going to they're going to go through a lot of abuse. And so you can expect to have issues. You know, it just you don't ever know when. No, you'll never know. You, know, you just don't ever know when <laughs> no, it's going to be. It's not an if thing it's when will it happen and and you hope if something does go wrong it happens at an opportune place to where you can have it worked on or work on it or yeah the brakes don't go out and you're going 40 50 miles an hour and there's nothing at the turn <laughs> uh there's a turn with maybe yeah. uh look like aluminum foil stuck up on two posts to keep you from going off the edge and going down those baja highways are scary <laughs> oh my gosh they really are. <laughs> how many how many of those little wimpy guardrails did we see that were just gone 
Most all of them are. They, they were just replaced, and I mean, there's wreckage of, of big trucks. I think that was Highway Two that we were on, uh, and lots of big eighteen wheeler type trucks that are working are driving traveling that route going mm-hmm. back and forth, and so uh, even the driving there was an adventure. Yeah. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Mercy. I'm laughing because I'm I'm glad we're here. We we had great people that we worked with, honestly, and and all those kind of things. And like I said, the only thing that could have made this hunt any better, as far as I'm concerned, from a personal aspect, and I'm thrilled that John was able to, to take a take a deer, is if we'd have seen a few more deer, at least had an opportunity at, at, at one to say, well, he's too small or whatever, you know, where it could passed him up and we just didn't have that opportunity but I'd love to go back but I'd love to go back to an area where they thought there were a few more deer here and there may not be such a place I think there is you think so mm-hmm. uh, that fellow that we were talking to at the cafe yeah at the the Baja checkpoint place right. um, he was saying where he where he hunted last time he was down here he said we we saw we saw quite a few. Well, I know he was yeah. showing a picture. I, he was he was shocked at the at the low number of deer that we. Oh, saw. really? Yeah, but at the same time, he said that he hunted during the rut, and yeah. I think that's where I would like to come again too. But hunt during the rut because right now those deer aren't traveling; they're just they're getting up and they're they're browsing and they're laying down right in the rut. Those bucks are going to be traveling miles and miles. Exactly. And that's when you get your best opportunity. It's just like the desert mule deer in Sonora. It, that's why everybody wants to come during the rut because the bucks are traveling. They're looking for does, and a lot of times if they're not if they're not on the move, going from point A to point B, you don't ever see them because they stay in such thick cover, you know. But if you're if you've got some elevation and you're glassing over, you know, miles of country, that's your best opportunity to actually find a a good shooter, you know, mature shooter buck is during the rut. So how would you compare, of course, as you mentioned, you're usually hunting a little bit later, like in December, January period time. In Sonora? Yeah. Yeah. And we're here in the uh, last, or middle part of, well, essentially the last week of, of October. Yeah. So there is, is a lot of time frame difference there in terms of activity of the animals. And that, I'm mm-hmm. sure, played into what we saw or didn't see in, in this particular instance. But how would you compare hunting the two areas? Is there Are they comparable? Or is it a contrast in how you hunt? Or um, Yeah, there is. The, I mean, in Sonora, you'll never find... You'll never find those deer up on the side of the mountain. Right. Not like these deer. I mean, right. we saw the 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 few does that we did see were up higher. Right. You know, they were up either on the side of the mountain or in the... Or top third, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Or, or at the top of the foothills right. that were below it. And uh, the bucks that we saw, which we saw only one, that yearling buck, he yeah. was down low. Like real low, he came up out of that. Yeah, and that before we started coming up. Yeah, um, but in Sonora, you'll never find those deer up high ever. Um, once in a while, a buck will, will push a doe mm-hmm. up about one fourth, you know, the distance on a hill, not mm-hmm. a mountain. 
but just a hill. That buck will push her up there, you know, about a fourth of the way up and kind of keep her hemmed up in there. But other than that, you always see them in the flat. I mean, they're always down on the deck. Yeah. And uh, it was totally different here Yeah, uh, with these blacktail. So I, I wondered, uh, I know that they shot the one that John did shot was down low and like our desert mule deer in Texas for the most part this time of the year those bucks are pretty much all down in the lower country and the does are up higher and then about time when the rut starts those bucks start drifting up to where the mm-hmm. does are and and I think that might have been the case here as well too just from what he shot yep. that one little spike buck that we jumped and uh, so but to begin with those for the five day hunt the first essentially four days we hunted up high every time and so we may have not been in an area where the bucks were there yet kind of thing. Yeah, but even though we were hunting up higher, I was all, I was still looking low. Yeah. Because it's, it's just my nature as much as I guide. And snow, right. I'm always checking the low stuff, too. And, you know, looking for tracks, which there was a... There was a very 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 small number of tracks that we saw yeah i can re- recall maybe a grand total of five different sets of tracks yeah and we looked at a huge amount of country and yeah. and, walk, and walked a little bit we didn't tremendously do yeah. it walking on but uh but with walk, walking we did we did in prime areas and you just wouldn't see even see a deer track there so yeah it's like you said earlier um if those animals are there they can make tracks. They're going to leave tracks. Yeah. That's the one thing they'll do. They're going to be fresh tracks, old tracks. Right. They'll be tracks. And there just was not. <laughs> there was no tracks to no. speak of. I mean, to speak of, there was no tracks. No, so. no, no, no. Like I said, it was a very, very low deer density. And I'm glad I did the hunt. I'm glad we we got to do it together, to be very honest with it. I'm oh, really man. glad that we got to spend time, of course, with, with John as well. I'd go to hell and back with you, Larry. Well, it, you know, I'd it's mutual here, so. And this wasn't hell, baby. No, no, not by any stretch. <laughs> but I'm just saying, you know, the whole the whole experience, the whole hunt was worthwhile for me just to be huh. along with you. So same here, same here. Well, we've got a couple other hunts coming up here for too very long. They're whitetails, you know, the branches that we've hunted with in the, in the past up on the Hargrove. We got that coming up here. We'll do a podcast from there too. With that one's going to be with, uh, with the president of, of, uh, Remington. So, um, Ken Darcy, and we'll see. Our our hunting techniques will be a little bit the same for a little bit because I know we're going to do some driving uh-huh. and looking to some of the canyons there. And, and but hopefully that'll be during time frame. I'm really hoping the bucks are coming to Rattling Horn. Uh, when I hunted there in the past, usually that was a time when we had some bucks come in. So we'll do some sitting around on a high rack and driving different areas and, and uh, walking out to points and looking at hot spots or look like hot spots and try to rattle up some bucks there as well, too. Then you've got, uh, you're going back to Sonora again this year later. Yeah, it'll probably be just after Christmas before New Year's. That's generally when I, I I make that journey. <laughs> so I'm I'm not driving this year though. I'm gonna fly down. Yeah. And use one of Brian's trucks. So I'm looking forward to it. 
that ought to make life a whole lot easier. I mean, you, you, driving from where we live to Sonora is is a, is a two day trip minimum, no matter what you do. No matter what you do, and being able. I mean, two. That's long hours long of driving. Days. Yeah. On some really desolate roads and all that, and then you still got to get into Mexico, and then you've got a little way to go once you get in to where you cross the border. But, yep. but flying into Hermosillo to me is—I'm hoping to get back in here in, in late January during the time frame when the uh, in Mexico when the Cusjer rut's going on. Based on what I've seen in the past, usually those last days of January when those bucks are really active, and it, we may be, do some visit with our new friend Martin, and he says he takes care of some ranches that've got both mule deer and coos deer, but he's got a couple of ranches too, or at least one ranch that's basically just just whitetails. So uh, let's, let's see that. Go that, hunt the cola blanca. Go hunt the cola blanca is right. <laughs> but to me, those coos deer always keep calling me i just there's something about those darn things they're cool they're really cool and i know the desert country must pull you heavily because there's times in the past we've talked about you not coming back to mexico to guide Um, and then the next thing i know guess what (laughs) yeah yeah it's you know i uh i love sonora i love mexico I love the guys that I work with down there. We're we're a we're a really hard working team. You know, it's just a it's a, it, we're all a team down there. And uh, yes, sir. When uh, you know when we're running hunters in camp, and and one guy gets his deer early, we're all helping right. the other guy. You know, and uh, it's always it's always great the more eyes you can have in the glass and looking uh, the better you know so i just uh i don't know what it is about mexico it's kind of like it's it's still the wild wild west down there it is and uh it, it really is an adventure every year i, I love it Who's the outfitter that you work for? In case somebody listens to this and they want to, you're like, because you guys do a fabulous job and you take some really big deer. And of course, I've had the opportunity to to know you, and I know you wouldn't be working for whoever you're working for if that guy wasn't the best in that in no, in, in Mexico kind of thing. So how how would tell them about the outfit and how to get in touch with it? Um, so the outfitter's name is Brian Bundrick, and. Uh, he is the the owner of uh, Sonoran Pro Hunts, and uh, let me see here. Let me see if I can get his number. I'll pull his number up. But they can go to Sonoran Pro Pro Hunts. Yeah, they can go. They can go to Sonoran Pro Sonoran Prohunts dot com and and get the information yeah. if they want. Yeah. And they there they can show you some of the photographs too because you guys yes. take some really outstandingly nice yeah. deer. Or you can search you can search Sonoran Pro Hunts on uh, on Facebook also. Right. Uh, you'll find a lot of pictures and trophy photos and stuff on there also and contact information right. from Brian. So. And who knows? You set up a hunt with him and I suspect that you get lots of return customers. So uh, I would say, this is going to sound crazy, but I would say 75% of our clients come and hunt with us every year. Yeah. Every year. And so that they've worked themselves into a position where they have what they believe is their ranch and right. they buy the tags for that ranch every year. 
And Sonoran Pro Hunts, basically, for them, it, we just manage right. their ranch. You know, we do the supplemental feeding, we do the supplemental watering, and we provide guides when they come to hunt. Essentially, it's like it's like their own private mule deer lease, right? Basically, but most of our hunters that's what they that's what they're wanting to work toward, and it do, it doesn't happen the first year that you show up. I mean, you've got to put in you got to put in a few years. You're not just gonna you're not gonna book a hunt and then jump in front of ten guys that have been hunting with us for years, right? You know, it just don't work that way. But um, we we really run a tight management program for the mule deer and you know the feeding we don't like to shoot we don't like to shoot any bucks under five and a half we prefer you know prefer six and a half years old and older Mm -hmm. um so we're not you know we're, we're not out there shooting young deer that don't need to be shot um i would say that on average our yearly average on score would probably be between 182 and 185. Uh, we always we always kill a, a fair number of 190 class deer, and then we always generally get four or five, you know, in the 200 in class 200 range. Class, yeah. yeah. So now the, the management, the 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 results speak for itself, you know, as far as the management is concerned. If I recall, when we were down here and you were going back and forth with a couple of guys, there's a good possibility that one or two of the ranches that y'all have had in the past, you will start picking up. And you're they're looking at some new country now, too, from what I understand. Well, Brian's always looking at new ranches. I gotcha. mean, he's, from, he's from Arizona, so he's down here in Mexico almost as much as he is at home. Right. Um, he's, he's out of Prescott, Arizona. So he spends a, he spends a fair amount of time year-round in Sonora. Um, either taking care of the ranches we already have right. or looking at new ranches and trying to acquire new ranches. And yeah, uh, there were some ranches that we, there were some ranches that we lost uh, when uh, Brian's partnership with his partner mm-hmm. in uh, Caborca dissolved. Uh, but I'm hearing rumor that, that those ranches are about to become, become available back. to us. Yeah. Good. So, that's good because the 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 handful that he told me about were have always been some of our best ranches. So that's good to hear. Yeah, I really hope we get those back. Before we talk a little bit about some of the current artwork that you're doing, let's talk a little bit about calling mule deer. You've been doing it for a while. I've been doing it for a while. We've done some of it together. We tried it down here, and I'm convinced that we had a couple of deer that were probably coming to the call. And essentially, we caught our wind. There were just a whole lot of a whole lot of reasons for them to smell the truck, smell everybody that was in the truck and all that kind of stuff Well, as well, too. But it looked like they were coming. But you called mule deer a lot over in Sonora. Man, countless. Uh. Countless. I mean, uh, probably the best, the best day of calling that I've ever had. Uh, Brian and I were we're hunting, we're guiding together with my client. Right. Um, Brian just happened to come visit our camp. Uh, and the next day we, you know, he and I took my hunter and we, that day we called, seems like I want to say 78 
deer. <laughs> no, seventy eight deer in total, and thirty six bucks. That's phenomenal. Thirty six bucks, and I mean, they ranged from yearling bucks to four and a half year old, hundred eighty class bucks that we didn't shoot. You know, I've I've got the video footage of it. Yeah, I just by the time you know. We were an hour and a half into the calling that day, and I just said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to put my binoculars down, and I'm just going to video all this, Brian. You got it. Take it. You know? Right. <laughs> and um, that was when uh, – that's when all of us had become pretty new to the calling. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was actually the first year that Brian had done it also. But the one thing – Brian had something – that that nobody else did. Brian had the opportunity to hear a mule deer fawn bleat in distress because they found this fawn and the doe was nowhere right. around. And they they picked the fawn up yeah. and it started bleeding. And he remembered that sound. Yes. And when he bought that call, he mimicked that sound. And that's who taught me, you know, Brian taught me to call mule deer. And he says, no, you don't do it like this. You got to do it like this. Right. He goes, I've heard, I've heard this sound. Right. I've heard the mule deer fawn make this sound, do it like this. So I just began working, emulating what he was doing. And man, the, the calling has been very successful for me. Well, we've got a mule deer hunt coming up in Texas on the Hargrove Ranch later on in December, just about the time of the start of their mule deer rut. And we're going to do a bunch of calling. And, and what I'm hoping to do is we can, of course, we've been able to film it in the past, but as well for a, a little bit for Trishicon's World of Sports Field, but also for uh, our uh, Sportsman's Life that's on uh, Carbon TV. And so people can actually hear it, but we'll take, I'll take the camera out as well too and record the sounds that we're making. And uh, then we'll come back from there and talk a little bit more about calling mule deer and, and uh, maybe able to send somebody a link to where they can actually see us calling and having those deer respond. Yeah. You know, there was a, there was a time in Sonora that not, not many, not many outfits or, or people knew about right. calling. It was a secret. Like we oh, yeah. to keep it a secret and Martine shows up here with the exact same <laughs> call that I use in Sonora and I was like yeah it's not such a secret the secret out <laughs> so I, you know I have to wonder sometimes how long how long will the calling be productive are we educating the deer or you know I don't know I know this we've never we've still managed to have good fair amount of success calling but we have never ever called deer like that very first year that we started yeah. calling never i mean we literally had deer trying to jump in the back of the truck with the high rack right and it was it was it was the wildest thing i'd ever well, we'll, we'll see what happens on the hargrove this year because this will be like the third year that we've called a fair mm-hmm. amount there and yeah. we've had We've called an unbelievable number of deer. I think we had part. I think we had really good success last year when you we, and I were there. We did. Yeah. And 
prior the year prior, my gosh, I had mule deer all over me and mm-hmm. in the great number. We had as many as 30 plus deer around us at one yep. time that came in as a group. But uh, so we'll, we'll come back and do some of that. But let's talk a little bit about the artwork. I, I brag on you all the time, every opportunity I get, because you're an unbelievably fabulous artist. Thank you, Larry. No, that's not, no smoke. I appreciate good art and I appreciate art to me that looks like something <laughs> instead of an abstraction or you know or that kind or of thing toilet hanging on the wall yeah 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 i've never quite figured out the toilet seat hanging on the wall as a piece of art or some of the twisted metal that people yeah. come up with but uh the work that you do is phenomenal and you do a lot of murals yep yeah i do a lot of wall murals and graphics and yeah. a lot of things uh been i've been a I've been a wall dog, as they call it. A wall dog? Since I was 13 years old. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I went to work. I went to work uh, for a guy named Dan Holshue, who owns a sign company out of Louisville. And he's a very, very, I mean, he's he's a creative genius. He has a very creative mind. Mm-hmm. Um doesn't do a lot of the work himself anymore. Like he, he, he will, he will come up with concepts and ideas and designs. And then he, he basically brokers it out, you know, right. but he, what he really does is he, he creates concepts. And so the project that I was working on before we left to come here was a monster wall mural for a place locally known in Dallas as the truck yard. And what the truck yard is, is it's a restaurant slash, well, no, it's, it's not a restaurant. It's a drinking establishment, an outdoor venue drinking establishment. You can, you can pitch horseshoes, you can play cornhole, you can do backgammon. I mean, you can do all sorts of fun stuff there, but the food is not, it's not prepared right there. It's brought in with vetted food trucks. Right. So they've got the yard, the truck yard, yes, the truck yard <laughs> where the food trucks park and you, you get your drinks from the truck yard, but you get your food from the food trucks that are parked. At the exactly. Yard. So it's been a, it's been a really cool uh, concept and a, and a big hit in Dallas. And so we've, um, hmm. we've been working on this mural there for about three weeks. It's, it's right at, uh, it's right at 12 feet tall and about 160 feet long. If you combine both walls and put them end to end. And it's, uh, it's basically a, a hill country scenic painting mm-hmm. in the spring with blue bonnets and, there's a big longhorn steer there, an old windmill and a barn. And then on the other wall, there's some other longhorns that are further in the distance. But uh, there's some old, like, you know, old rusted out trucks and stuff parked like they're just parked out in the pasture. And uh, on the inside, <clears throat> basically, that those two walls form a corridor that leads to mm-hmm. the entrance mm-hmm. of the place. Yes, yeah, sir. So inside that corridor the blue bonnets are giant and it's like you're walking down and the blue bonnets are right, right. in your face oh, cool. and there's monarch butterflies and uh, 
we're thinking about putting a, either an armadillo or a giant jackrabbit in there also we just haven't decided which one i don't know those guys uh style and dan may have they may have completed it before i get back i don't know but i'll still i'll go back over there you get to do a little bit touches here and there do do a little bit more 3d appearance to different things i would like to um i would like to get into doing a little more um studio work though canvases yeah gallery pieces and stuff like that um, I don't, um, I don't get into the commission stuff much. Um, I, I've, I've sold everything that I've ever painted, mm-hmm. but, um, they weren't always commissions. They were just painting right. paintings and drawings that I've done. And people just asked me if I would sell it, you know, well, how much can I buy that for? Um, I, I would rather, I would rather do it that way. You know, I, I, I would rather paint what what inspires me uh-huh. paint what I want right right and, and then put it out there and let it find its rightful place and rightful owner you know that's just the way I would rather do it cool stuff your, your work is phenomenal if somebody were to try to get in touch with you for a mural or maybe talk to you about a just an art project uh, that included paintings or whatever how would how would they get in touch with you uh the best way that they could get in touch with me would be by phone by phone mm-hmm. my number is uh 214-557-1774 do it one more time a little slower because if okay. you're like me it takes me a while to form my figures anymore <laughs> okay yeah you can reach me at 214-557-1774 absolutely and if you if you can't remember that you don't write it down and and you, you can't find any other place if y'all get in touch with me at either at instagram at uh, at Larry Weisson, we've made some changes there now. It's just plain at Larry Weisson, or I have a public figure Facebook page too. It's just plain Larry Weisson as well. If you'll send me a, a, a personal message or just uh, write it up and say, hey, how do I get in touch with this artist guy, Jeremiah Bennett? I'll be more than happy to provide you with Jeremiah's contact information and, and all those kind of things and, and uh, get you guys together. Because if you're ever thinking about doing anything like that, Jeremiah's the guy that you really want to visit with. And, and I know that from the past work that he's done and what he's working on now, that quality is second to absolutely none. So you'll be truly proud that you did. Jeremiah, we're going to close this thing out. we got to go to the airport here in just a little bit. And uh, thank you so much for being with us around the campfire we'll be reconvening the campfire here in about 10 12 days <laughs> and we'll do this all over again it's always a pleasure thanks for having me along and having me on your podcast we'll see you right back here folks next week and then we'll see jeremiah back here probably about two weeks dsc's campfires with larry wysoon has also been brought to you by the crown bar in lagrange texas h3 whitetail solutions remington texas wildlife association trhp outdoors 